I am thrilled to announce that An Actor Despairs is partnering with a wonderful CBD company called Kind Farms. Everyone out there has heard of CBD. I started taking it a few years ago when I first started getting sober and to help with my anxiety. Sadly, as one can do, I was overtraining in the gym, and a friend recommended a topical and a tincture to help with the pain. I tried it. It was okay. However, recently, I was introduced to a product that has really changed my life. Not only has it helped me with anxiety, but I am stronger than I have ever been. I'm able to carry out lifts my body used to prevent me from doing. Kind Farm products have single-handedly changed my life athletically and personally. They utilize 100% local licensed farmers, organic cultivation, and CO2 extraction for superior CBD. Kind Farms is turning CBD to a kind alternative to pharmaceuticals. Let's transform tobacco row into hemp row. If you want to get involved, please reach out. Together, we can make a difference. You can use my code RYAN10 for 10% off. You can find them on Instagram at Kind Farms Inc. All one word. That's K I N D P H A R M S I N C. And their website is kindfarmsinc.com. Once again, my code for 10% off is Ryan10. And now, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. Today on An Actor's Fairs, we have truly one of my all-time favorite actors, one of the most superb talents I've ever seen, David Costable. You know David Costable from projects like The Wire, Breaking Bad, Billions, 13 Hours, and too many others to name. He is one of the finest actors in the world. Every time that I've watched him perform, I've been so inspired and so moved. And, you know, in this business, that's really what we do. We inspire each other. Moreover, in this interview, we really break down what it means to despair as an actor, which ironically is the first time I've truly explored that with a guest. Here it is. David Costable, welcome to An Actor Despairs, brother. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm hanging in, man. Uh, I just got to say, like, what you've done with your career has... So I told this when Glenn Fletcher was on, when Che Wiggum was on, when Morgan Spector was on. You are one, and many others, I don't want other actors to think I'm not including them, but you are one of the finest actors in the world. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again, because I think the metaphor is just so astute. If you look at acting as a form of athleticism, I have watched you spar and spar with some of the biggest and greatest actors in the world, and you emerge victorious every time. And when I watch you work, it fills me with inspiration. And I don't need to tell you, you know, the politics and the bureaucracy of this business. You can get lost in all that. But what this is at the end of the day, it's about the work. And your work is some of the finest work I have ever seen. And it's an immense honor to have you on this show. Well, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. I mean every word of it. Um, But I usually like to start at the beginning. So you grew up in Pennsylvania, right? No, I grew up right outside of Washington, D.C. in Chevy Chase, Maryland. And, Got it. Uh, and then I went to, uh, I did my undergrad at Tufts University up in Boston. Wow. Right I'm Richmond, Virginia, so I was so close. Nice. Nice. So yeah. close. Uh, and, then, uh, and then I was out, then I worked professionally for about three years as an actor, and then after college, and then I decided to get my MFA and then went back to school. Um, 
1992. How old were you so in 1992? I was two years old. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it, man. Talk yeah. to me about that, Joe. Because... Good year for both of us. 92? Yeah. <laughs> no, you too. You're walking. Yeah. You're doing well. You're doing well. I think, yeah, I, was, I, think I was saying dad and mom listening no to doubt. Kurt Cobain. No doubt. Know? I'm sure. <laughs> but talk to me about that, that experience between uh, Tufts and the uh, the intermirum period before NYU, what were you doing? At college, a group of friends and I, uh, we all moved to Albany, New York, and we started a free outdoor Shakespeare company. And wow. um, that we did, you know, in the in Washington Park in Albany, Albany, New York, every summer. And we were doing rotating rep of classical plays, mostly Shakespeare, and doing outreach, you know, teaching kids about Shakespeare and teaching them uh also playing games with them and um, in, in the community. And, you know, it was, it was, we were going to change the world type deal. And uh, it was an incredible experiment and we worked really hard and we made a lot of very fun and very exciting free theater for people to come and uh, participate in in the middle of the summer. And, um, and then uh, I, you know, I traveled around, I worked in Atlanta at theater Emory and then I worked at, uh, I was an understudy at arena stage in DC. I moved back there for a little bit and I was like a a carpenter in their shop during the day. And then I was an understudy at night and um, I was a lousy carpenter and they basically only let me sweep the floors because I sucked so bad. (laughs) They were nice enough to give me a job so that I could actually try to live. And, um, and, and at some, at a certain point that I realized like that the, the narrow way that I knew how to make something wasn't going to suit me over the long haul. And I knew that I wanted to do it. Uh, I knew that I wanted to have a lifetime doing it. And I had to get more, um, there had to be a larger breadth about how to make something. I sort of felt like at at a certain point I had to, um, I just had to expand the way I was doing stuff and I needed to know more. And um, I was the, 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 what I had learned in college or what I had practiced outside of that, it was just too um, narrow. It was too pointed yeah. in a way. And there needed to be a much uh, wider vi- way of looking at the world, way of looking at story, looking at the way of, you know, collaboration than I had because you, you, I knew that I was, I had, I had gotten into a, a situation where someone I had worked with uh, one of my, one of the, the a director from college, this guy, Vinnie Murphy, actually had hired me at Theater Emory, which is a part of Emory University where they, they have pros and undergrads work together in the theater. I don't yeah. know if they still do that, but they did for a long time. And it was a great idea. And he was asking me to do something that I had never done before and I couldn't do it. And I knew that I would get fired if it hadn't been my friend fire would letting yeah. me sort of try to learn on the spot. And at that moment, I kind of was like, oh, hell, I've really got to. I've got to expand the way I think about stuff because I just don't know how to do something different. Somebody's asking me to do something different. I don't even remember what particular way it was, but I just knew yeah. that I felt like I felt like the I had no no cash in the account, and I was like, oh shit! I know that if it hadn't been my friend, they would have been like, "You're out, dude. You can't do it. You suck." Um, and so that really led me back to school. And I had a friend. Uh, I had my friend. You know Rain Wilson? Yeah, I love Rain. Yeah, he's great. So Rain, Rain was a good friend of mine, and he had he was going to NYU at the time, and we had been friends since undergrad. And he um, he was really he was suggesting he was like, you got to come here, you got to come here. It's it's um, this is the place for you. 
And so I knew that that was where I wanted to go and lucky enough to get in. This was during Ron Van Loo's tenure? Yeah, Ron was there then. And then did you do the big three? Did you do Yale, Juilliard, NYU? No, I didn't. I didn't apply to Juilliard because I knew I didn't want to do four years. And um, I applied to Yale and I didn't get in. And um, and then I applied to to to, to NYU. Wow. And how was that experience being in grad school? Because, you know, it's like you in 12 to 14, maybe 16 at the highest others. I mean, we had you know? we had we had 18, 17. Oh, you had a big class. It was a big class. They've reduced the size of the classes now. Um, it was a great experience. It was a life changing experience. And we had a great ensemble. And um, the teachers I had there were extraordinary. And and I taught there in that same program for nine years. And um and that was an incredible experience as well and something. And then I, I also started the, uh, the alumni association for that program and raised money for scholarships and stuff and, and uh, to help connect grads. And, and I did that for almost 15 years. Uh, so it was, a, it was a long time and it was a really valuable, it was a valuable place for me. And I made lifelong friends there and people that will be my forever collaborators and that's so beautiful. And and I'm curious, you know, because I had a long talk with Glenn about this. How was the showcase for you? Because it, he said it was pretty brutal for him. You know, was that? Yeah, he had a hard showcase. My showcase, like, was was very good for me. I mean, must have been so good that it got you The Wire, the greatest show of all time. Oh, no, no. The Wire didn't come for for, for years after that. that was oh, really? Oh, yeah. That was that was because was, I was in the fifth season of The Wire. And I don't even know what year that what year we shot that that would have been 2006 or seven then yeah so that was yeah. nine I, we graduated in that's 11 years we i graduated in 95 oh wow yeah i thought you were saying that was your undergrad i apologize no no, no wow. that was my grad <laughs> that's amazing man and then talk to me what you know what was the landscape like then were you doing co-star guest star stuff for the big networks because no back- no after 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 grad school it was mostly i, I mostly did theater i i you know my first I was in the, the I was an understudy in the ensemble in the in Central Park and um, in Shakespeare in the Park and then um, and then I was in I then we did that that the first Broadway gig I did was The Tempest that George Wolfe had directed that Patrick Stewart was in yeah um, when you were a tiny child so you would have been that would have been you were four then um, <laughs> and then uh, and then I and then I had written when we were in when I was in grad school I had written this show co-written this show with friends of mine from grad school uh, called The New Bozina and um, we did an off-Broadway run and uh, it was a very fun and successful extraordinary it was a clown show that uh, we had written while we were in grad school. And when you're in grad, at, at, in the grad acting program, they have three or three and a half weeks to do it, to make something. And the idea was just like, just go and make something. And um, my classmates, Kevin Isola and Michael Dahl and myself, and then Rain Wilson directed it. And the four of us made this, we collaborated on this piece and we made, it was like a physical comedy, Bill Irwin, David Shiner type thing. Oh, wow. Um, like red nosed clowns, not sort of painted face clowns. Yeah, and, totally. Um, and it was a, it was really it was really just came from it was but we, it was it was just a, it was just a new way of looking at clowning for us and and um, we sort of self taught us self we were self taught more or less there wasn't we didn't have direct clowning classes we one of our teachers this guy Jim Calder was a um, had trained at Lecoq and uh, yeah I so we had that as well. so we had so we had some of that we had a, a background in that and then and we had taken circus stuff. Uh, 
And uh, but this was sort of our own formal experiment with doing it. And we worked on it for years and years and we took it to L.A. and sold it and they ruined it. And Oh, no. We made our own little short film of it. And for years we've been we worked on it for almost 10 years. It was it was a long, fascinating experience. That's so. And then and then after that, I worked in um, right after that, I uh, um, I got in. I was in Titanic which was a musical on Broadway. Yeah, the adaptation after the movie hit? No, no, we were, we were prior to the movie. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, so we I were s- first, and then um, it was an original piece, and it was that was an, also an extraordinary thing, and I did that for almost two full years on Broadway. 675 oh. shows. And the, the story has nothing to do with the movie, probably? No. Yeah, 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 wow. I so mean, it does, you know, the Titanic sinks. <laughs> So, same, sto- same, same story. Same story, really. <laughs> really the same story. That's so it's beautiful. About a boat. Yeah, it was great. I'm curious when you came out of school, you know, because now I'm sure you can totally identify that. Like, you know, I've done the grad school audition. I've gotten called back, and you know, I think so many kids go to grad school now because they want to be movie stars or they want right. to, you know, because they heard you went there. They heard Rain right. Wilson went there. They heard Mahershala went there. Right. And it's it's not so much about becoming a great actor anymore. And that's kind of why I gave up on that. But I'm curious, when you came out in the 90s, what did it look like for you to make a career? Were you just happy to be doing theater or, you know, television? Was that imperative? I mean, you know, movies and television were so so elusive at that point for me. Um, And, uh, you know, there was... The the way that the school prepared you and what you were prepared to do was was at the time... much more concentrated on, uh, you know, get, creating a transformational actor that could go into a company system. So yeah. you are a versatile enough actor that can go from classical to modern. That was what they wanted to make you. And that was what we became. And that market really had begun right when we were finishing. Those yeah. theater companies were dying. So like the Guthrie, I think, was the last to go with the Guthrie and the, but even things like the arena stage of the Guthrie, you know, Oregon shakes places that had real companies that you could get paid a yearly salary and you were able to do rotating reps of everything, anything, modern class, you know, any, yeah. really anything. And that was what, that really was what we were, what I was certainly trained to become and what, what I wanted to do because I didn't, you know, I wasn't, you certainly hoped that television and film could be a possibility, mostly because you knew that you needed to get paid to pay off your loans. So, you know, you wanted to get paid in, in order to live in this city and to pay off your debt because it was staggering at the time. Nothing like the students that come out now. I'm an um, NYU grad, so, so I get it. I'm 300K in. <laughs> right. So I know, yeah. your, I know your pain and I know how, uh, how basically one of the, one of the, one of the, uh, one of the great difficulties, even from when I left graduate school, there was no way for you to have my career because you couldn't afford to live in the city the way I afforded to live in the city. Yeah. That, um, you know, I mostly made my job. I mostly made my living doing commercials at the time. And I, and was able then to, was able then to not have to have a straight job in order to keep doing yeah. smaller roles or not worry about going out of town because I knew I could sustain myself with commercials. And that was its own lucky weird world that has already begun to dry up now too. So young actors who are getting out now 
there is no way that you could live off the salary that, which more or less really hasn't changed from when I started doing Shakespeare in the park. Um, you know what I mean? So that there was, it's just a, and, and, and have to pay back the kind of loans that you're in. No, now you understand why I live with my dad in Brooklyn. (laughs) It's not even a question. You want to be there and you want to, you want to continue to, to pursue it. You need time and you need the ease of your own being, the ease of being able to create and try and work with people that, you know, create, find, find where you fit and finding where you fit basically really requires dough and it requires dough because you got to feed yourself and you got to pay your rent and then you got to pay back all your loans. And, and that, that's just, it's too hard. It's too hard to have to, to make, to, to have two careers doing that. Yeah, I, 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 I spoke with one of your co-stars in 13 Hours, James Batchdale, about the same thing. And I'm, I'm curious to ask you then, as you were having these successes on Broadway, and he kind of mentioned similar thing happened to him, you know, where you did, was there, you know, a director or an actor or someone who saw you in the theater and brought you over to the TV film side? No, I mean, you know, like, like, the wire probably would have like I had a, a bunch of I had a bunch of pieces here and there that I did and then um, and then like uh, you know one of the things one of the weird things about it when I this show that I had written this this thing called the New Bozina we had moved to L A to sell it and try to win the game and um, we didn't win the game uh, but we all got like the, 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 all of us got cast in how the Grinch stole Christmas. And yeah. so we were in this big movie and we were helping create, you know, the world of it and being meetings with Ron Howard. And it was fucking crazy. And we thought, you know, that was going to change it. And then, and it didn't, and it, it didn't really, it wasn't, you know, one of the, one of the great difficulties, I think certainly talking to younger performers and the, the trick the, the, da- the danger of wa- of watching of looking at somebody older and being like oh it's it's just a it's just a staircase and I'm on the wrong staircase and the reason that I'm not progressing the way I wish to desire to dream about is that that's a fallacy that really just doesn't exist it yeah. really is a it's a false it's a false idol to chase and you will make yourself crazy by thinking I should be I should be getting some I should be able to climb the staircase yeah. faster because there's no staircase. It doesn't exist. Yeah. And looking at what I did and thinking, oh look, this guy did that, and then he did this, and then he did that, and um, it is uh, not true. And it's not linear in the way people think on IMDb when they're like, oh, that makes that, and that makes that. No, yeah, because I yeah. I went out and you know, I I moved to. I I was on Broadway for I was I'd been on Broadway twice and then I was in this I sold a television show and then was in this big movie and and then the whole thing like the bottom fell out and I was living on credit card checks and and I had an apartment here and an apartment there and I was trying to like I mean I was jammed and wow. and paying rent on credit card checks and that's a terrible terrible I know man I'm doing it on a podcast don't don't do that <laughs> yeah. um so. You know, but and then and then things would turn around, and then I moved back here, and I gave up living in Los Angeles, and it was too hard for me, and I I couldn't do it, and I couldn't hack it, yeah, and it was too lonely, and um, I didn't like it, and you know, I didn't like being unemployed there, and I do like being unemployed here. It's a much easier place to be unemployed because yeah. nobody cares that you're unemployed here. Yeah, welcome to the club. <laughs> yeah, a big deal. But, yeah, um, and then certainly before the pandemic, it was just like you know, you get on the subway and 
who gives a damn about you? There's, there's no difference. So, uh, whereas there it's all, it feels, it just, you feel the pressure of it in a way, or I felt, I should say, I felt the pressure of it in a way that was really counterproductive to progress. I did the um, same thing. I moved to LA for six months and I identified to a T with what yeah. you're saying. It's a dangerous place. And, and it is for some people really loves like for instance, rain stayed. So we all moved out there and rain stayed and has thrived and loves it and loves living there. And, he has yeah. animals and his wife loves it, you know, so, so it's a great place for them to be that they really loved. And it was not for me. And, uh, this is, was better for me to be here. So that's beautiful. And I'm curious because you were writing and you mentioned you had a TV show, was writing something you were always focusing on as well, or did that, that uh, just kind of, I mean, I knew it was, it's interesting. Cause one of those, one of the aspects of really being able to say, like, I have a voice and I have something to say, you know, it was, you know, when you think about, when I think about the title of this particular podcast, um, do you like it? <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, it's all, it's all there is. Yeah, I know. <laughs> a, a big uh, name manager. That, that, part, of, part of, part of, part of combating the despair is really being able to, to, to demand of yourself and to allow that aspect of you to come out, which is your voice, which is to feel like I have ownership over the world, right? Going and, and coming with your hat in your hand to an audition and being like, please give me the job. I need the job. Yeah. Um, you're, you're dead. You're art. You're dead in the water. You'll never get it. You just never will. I and, know. and people say, but then the thing is like, but how do you get out of that? So one of the things that you really, you have to, de- you have to work hard towards, I think is to really finding, finding what, other ways that you can have a voice. So uh, certainly the writing is what has, has been something that periodically I have found incredibly helpful, primarily because it, it allows me just to feel like I'm not just a gun for hire, that yeah. I actually have something to say and that I, I want, I want to be able to say those things. Yeah. And, you know, certainly the teaching was another aspect of that. Like I wanted to be able to say to students, I wanted them to, 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 to ask me questions like this and just be like, listen, we can talk about, we can talk about what I did, but I also want you to be able to find out what it is for you because mine is not yours. And whatever particular path that I'm, I'm on, you have to be able to demand of yourself, I'm going to do this and I'm going to find a way through this despair. Otherwise, yeah. you know, you know that it will, it will just, it will, it will slowly crush you and it will take away, yeah. it will take away your dream. It will take away the joy that you have this. It will yeah. take away the calling that you've said that you have towards this piece. And it, you're just like, it's not, it's not fair. And it's, and you can do it. You can change the way you are with regard to how you interface with the business part, with the art part, with the literature part. And it is, uh, that's, that is, that is a big part of the job yeah. because, because it's, it doesn't come from one person and it doesn't come from one break. It comes from a steady diet of just told no and no, no, really, because no, is just like, are you, you, am I used to having people say no? Are you <laughs> <laughs> a fucking break. No. Yeah. How about fuck you? Get out of my face. And you're like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's amazing, man. I love how buoyed you, you you were able to stay because I was not. You know, I went down a dark path and I had to get sober to find my way back. But congratulations. That's great. oh, thank you. I really appreciate great that accomplishment. Yeah, you coming up on feel that way. Coming up on four years. Um, that's very good work. 
Thank you. So, Thank you. It means a lot, man. Um, yeah. um, that's so beautiful. So then in, in the early 2000s, as, you know, TiVo and things like that started happening, more and more television shows started going, uh-huh. I feel like. And do you feel like at a certain point being in New York, you know, and, and having been here and done plays and been on Broadway, you had really good rapport with certain, you know, like, let's say Marcy yeah. Phillips or, yeah, sure. you know. Those, the, the people that had known me, that I had been part of the community, that I had, that I had, uh, done done enough stuff that people were that they're able to bring you in without feeling like uh you know what's this guy gonna what is he gonna is he gonna fuck it up when yeah. you when when you get the job you know because they're they're on the line too that they're they they need you to sh- to show up and be able to 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 perform with the people who are in the show so one of the first you know certainly the wire uh was a great example of that. Alexa Fogel was able to be like, yeah, this guy can do it. And, um, and then I got there and was able to do it. And, and I hadn't known the show. Thank you God. Did. No, otherwise oh. I would never have been able to do it. I would have been too, way too intimidated <laughs> because as I was doing the show, I was watching it and becoming progressively more and more intimidated by the, the writing the, and the Simon. Writing. Yeah. And, Simon. Yeah. <laughs> and David's an incredibly nice guy and incredibly generous, and really, really smart and really Brooks. No bullshit. And, uh, was very generous to me and really kind. And um, I just think so highly of his writing. It's, it's so spectacular. Oh, he's my favorite. Um, yeah, yeah. He really is an incredible guy. And so uh, just to talk real quick, because yeah, I, you yeah. know, it, so many people love that show. You know what I mean? And, and, and you kind of hit on it yourself, you know, that show was like one of the few shows in the world that like three or four years later, you know, when it was all available on DVD, all of a sudden it just became, this phenomenon. And then, you know, when I was at NYU, I took a class on it, you know, like, can you talk about what it feels to be a part of something that immortal? You know what I mean? Like, I, I really think that show is immortal. I mean, yeah, it's, it's incredible. You know, it's just like, sometimes you just get lucky and you get, you get, you get, you know, there's, there's other shows that I've been in where I was like, Oh, this one's going to be awesome. It's going to work. And then all of a sudden it just kind of just shuffles away and nobody gives a damn about it. And, um, and this one, obviously, because it had already been, you know, flourishing. So it was, it was easy to walk in and, and, you know, it's like when you, when you play tennis with somebody who's really great, you're just much better. You, know, you look better. Everybody thinks like, oh, look at that guy. He's a, he's a fucking God. He's incredible. I know what you mean, man. Like, you know, play with Roger Federer. You're going to play, you're going to hit better. Yeah. He's going wow. to make you look good. So, uh, so there really is that. And, and on that level, that's, that's when you just realize like, oh, that's just a, that that there are certain parts that are just dead lucky breaks where you just get lucky, um, and like something like that, like Breaking Bad, where you just that's just a that was that was a confluence of things that there's no way to there's no way to predict it and there's no way to expect it that you could. Do you do you find that kind of amazing that two of probably the world's most famous shows that you've been able to be a part of? You yeah, know I'm I mean? the only I'm the only one who's. In <laughs> That's true. You are There's man. nobody else <laughs> who's in both of them. That's There's you. One actor in the world that was in both of them. That's me. So, so then people- after, so then after that, like I got cast in the show damages because friends of mine, somebody who I had gone, two guys who I had gone to grad school with created the show and they put me in and in the pilot, I was in one scene. I think I had, didn't even have a line. And, and I was like, come on, you gotta give me a lie. You gotta give me something. And they were like, yeah. you don't know what it's going to be. And maybe it'll be something and maybe it won't. And then I ended up doing, I don't know, 10 or 12, 14 episodes of it. And um, I became this, you know, insane villain. And they didn't know that I was going to be like the killer spoiler alert of that, you know, first season. And 
you know, they were, they were really open to, to ideas. And we had had a long, long, long collaborative discussions about acting, about process, about life, about story. And um, that was, that really was the first time when somebody who knew me because the people who created it knew me, they knew that I could play that kind of a role. They could play a real villain yeah. and nobody, uh, nobody would have cast me. Nobody would have cast me in that role. Not in a million years. I wouldn't have been cast as a villain. And um, cause I was play, I played mostly ineffectual, you know, middle management guys. That's what or I like super cerebral, you know, brilliant genius. Scientist. Yeah. Sure, but those, but you know, uh, but that wasn't until after breaking. Yeah, true, true. So that there was, so there was like a, so that somebody because they we had all gone to NYU, they knew that I had come from. I was a transformational actor, and I knew that they knew like he's going to pay attention to what's written, and he's going to make it what what it is rather than some other idea of it. You know, it sounds so beautiful that NYU, it sounds like it was this, not only this incubator, but this network that continued to affect you throughout graduation and, and, and keep bringing you work. That's that's amazing. That's so beautifully put. I'm curious then between damages, you know, at that point you're on these sets with these, you know, Glenn close, you know, Dominic West, Sure. Do you feel at a certain point, like I got this, like I can, I trust myself on a set or every time you get a bigger and bigger job, you still feel like, what am I doing here? You know? Yeah. I mean, you, there, there's definitely moments when you were the, the other actors, you know, because, because there are very few actors that I performed with and I won't name them that are, that bring that, that don't, the majority of the actors that I've worked with and the higher up the food chain of quality that you go, the more generous they are, Yeah, that there is a great generosity of spirit and a great sharing about trying to tell a story together. And they want you, you know, performing with Daniel day Lewis is easy because he's really quite something. You should really check him out. He really is a good actor. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think I've heard of him. <laughs> yeah, you should totally. <laughs> I'm actually good friends with his son. So, so I'm at- Brian Cranston's the same thing where you work with people who are just firing at a very, very high level. And you then also can, you know, one of the, I had this great teacher at NYU in grad school. His name was Paul Walker and he's now no longer with us. And Paul, um, Paul taught this extraordinary thing. And uh, this is now we're going deep into the weeds of acting process. You're going to have to go into this. And one of the things that, and what was extraordinary about Paul is that Paul never really said it out loud. He made you feel what the idea of his, what he was teaching, what his philosophy about people, about the human spirit is, and about particularly about actors, about how you need to progress in the world and how you need to move forward in the world. Yeah. And the thing that Paul made me feel was that you have to assume your own brilliance. That doesn't mean that you assume that you are brilliant. Right. It means right. that you assume inside your brilliance, like the brilliance of the sun. The sun assumes its brilliance because from its interior, it has it. And it yeah. assumes that. And what happens afterwards, what comes out is the sunshine. Yeah. But the assumption of brilliance, the assumption that inside exists this thing for you, for you, not like I want other people to think that I'm brilliant or that I think that I'm brilliant. And it's not thinking. It comes from a deeply held psychophysical 
space where you have to you have to look at the world. You have to go through the world doing that. It's a very, very difficult to sustain. Yeah. But when you can, and if you can do it, if you can, and this is going to sound incredibly corny, love yourself enough yeah. to do that, have the deepest amount of compassion for yourself and for others and the way you listen to others, the way you have compassion when the way you're listening is compassion, like the way you're listening to me, um, you have this incredible sense of you can feel it. You will feel it. You will experience it. And when you begin to experience it, then you will be able to do it all the time. And yeah. then when you get really good at it, you'll be able to do it in really fucked up situations, like an, audi- <laughs> like an audition. When you have to walk in and do oh. some bullshit that you don't like or care yeah. or know or understand but you have so much need. And then when your own sense of brilliance is assumed about this terrible, terrible material or mediocre material or great material, you can then, you can then, um, you can, you can, you can sort of, you can move the part of the commerce aside and you can only pursue what it is that you're trained to do and what it is that you want to be doing, which is, to tell the story of X, Y to Z and that the, the the commerce aspect of it really is, it isn't um, you're not actively pushing it aside. You're not actively saying like, I'm not any of the, any of the anxieties that come at you that also always happen. Should I have shaken their hand? Why didn't I do this? I I should have worn this shirt. I I, I thought I was going to, I thought I was going to like, they didn't want me and I didn't memorize it well enough. I memorized it too much. And then all of that stuff just moves to the side. And it isn't about an active thing that you're doing. It's actually about the thing, the, 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 the way that you are, um, considering yourself the thing that the 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 action that you're doing is so much more unique right because it's yours and it's and you can't do mine yeah you can't assume my brilliance and the way that my brilliance the assumption of my brilliance i should say manifests is so different from yours and should be different from mine because we we are not there's we're not the same people so, but each and each, when each one of us is able to do that, if you are able to do that, and if you are able to, to practice it, it's, it's a fucking revelation. You can't, you can't believe it. And, and on some level, when you look at what I, what, like when you, you sort of, you're, you're sitting back and you're like, oh, look at this guy. He does this one, this one, this one, this one. And then, but, but it's, but, but essentially at the core of it, if I'm lucky or if I'm doing my job right, that that's what my hope is, Right. Yeah, my authentic self is bring is 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 interfacing with the writing and the people, and then at the same time, while all of this other shit is coming at you, that the assumption of my brilliance, my own brilliance, not my not that I am brilliant, but that yeah. my own inner brilliance um, is alive, and that I want to be, I want to be in conversation with that, and that it becomes, it looks weird and you don't understand it. And you're like, what, what's up with that guy? What's he doing? Um, but you can, you can practice it. You can practice it in your daily life. You can practice it. You should certainly practice it in your creative life. Um, and people will be, it's, it is, it is a, it was an incredible gift that this guy, and he was a genius, genius teacher. Paul Walker. Yes. And he died way too early. And many of the people who had him, you can talk to them when, when, whenever you meet another, somebody from that particular era who yeah. was there, 
I, I would say that almost everybody felt the same way about this person who was really touched, really, truly touched. It was an incredible, incredible gift. And, and, and by assuming your own brilliance, I'm curious to ask you, when cultivating a character, I've said this on many podcasts, you know, the difference between good acting and great acting is like good actors can just make a living doing the same thing over and over again. And they're on the scale of horrible to good. Great actors are able to elevate a character so much that like when you watch that actor on the screen, even though I know it's David Costable, I see that character. You know what I mean? I see, I see Gail Bedeker. I see, sure. you know, and, and I'm curious how you work on care. Like what, is, what is your, I don't want you to expose all your secrets here, but you know, like what comes first for you? Is it, is it narrative? Is it script analysis? Is it, I mean, it's oh. always, it's always the writing. It's gotta be the writing. So yeah. any, everything that we do is driven by writers. So, um, you know, as an interpretive artist, that's, that's where you have to start. You have to start with what's, what is what is written and then how you know how are you included in that gale is that that character is it was so to it was so exquisitely written and i had i've said this before in interviews and i I feel i feel like it's um i feel like for some people who do people who are not professional actors would be like that sounds like a cop-out and people who are who are would be like oh yeah that's you just get lucky I feel like occasionally there are certain roles, certain characters that are written that you just have, you just know immediately. You just know it like a whole cloth. It's like a piece of whole cloth. There's no seam, there's no question. Um, there is no, uh, I never doubted my own. It wasn't about like interpreting it. I just yeah. knew it. I just had it inside. He like lived inside of me somewhere. And it was just like, I just got to open a door and be like, there he is. Look, you, you met him. Like, we'd be like, and so when I auditioned for it, I was like, that's it. That's it. And it took them forget like six excruciating weeks to be like, no, maybe somebody else. We got to find somebody else. We're what? Find somebody famous. And I was like, I, that's exactly what I felt. I was like, yeah. yes. About. It's me. Yeah. I just showed you that it's I am not. <laughs> but not like I need the role, but I was just like, yeah. but you wrote this role and I know that that's me in the role. And, um, and you know, those are when you don't get those. And there have been ones where you don't, where I haven't gotten those. It's really, it's just, it's, it's not traumatizing, but it is despairing that you're yeah. just like, fuck me. Are you kidding me? Yeah. You're not going to choose that and be like, wow. Okay. Well, wow. That's brutal. Um, so there was, so sometimes I, you get lucky that you get to walk into, you just get to walk into the shoes of somebody you already have. Like that's, yeah. there wasn't, there wasn't a lot to do. And in fact, you know, uh, I have a, a friend of mine, somebody who I just, I, the first time I ever worked with him, his name is Colin Buxley and he was a director and he's a really good pal of mine. And we've worked together on, I, I don't know how many different television shows. Um, seven or eight or something like that. And it was the episode where I was getting fired and it was another really well-written scene. And I, I, I had, by that time I was kind of feeling my legs and I was like, all right, now maybe I'm going to start to, you know, embroider a little on the edges here and just put a yeah. little extra little curly cue here. And he was just like, no, and I was <laughs> like, come on, come on. He was like, listen, I see what you're doing. Yeah. He was like, just don't do it. And I was like, you've got to let me do it somewhere. And he said, he said, do it on the word and. 
And I was like, oh, fuck you, dude. Fuck you. You're totally, you're totally <laughs> boxed me in. Because you can't do Bobby anything me. with, yeah. you can't do anything on the word and. Yeah. And so I was, and I even tried it in a single shot. And then I looked at him and was like, all right, you win. You, you broke, you broke my spirit. Oh, uh, man. But it was a great, it was a great lesson too, that, that on some level, that really just sh- when, when you have great writing, you can't like the extra embroidery is not, it doesn't help. Because yeah. you feel like, oh, I want to be involved in this. Like those guys are some road so much. What if we added this? And they may have already gone that that way and sort of excised that. And they're like, mm, I think just simpler, cleaner is probably better than Baroque, Rococo. Let's just move that to the side. So beautiful. And I'm curious, you know, obviously with Wire, you said you didn't know. With, with Breaking Bad, did you know that it yeah, was? I knew. You knew. Yeah, totally, totally. So- scared stiff when I walked in. So would you say in some ways that was the catalyst that 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 David Callistable became this amazing thing? And at this point, I'm sure it was it was phone calls for you. You you weren't were you were you in audition rooms or? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody. Nobody watched that show. <laughs> nobody watched that show when I was on it. In the third. No, season, no. I'm talking about Breaking Bad. Yeah. Nobody watched that show. What? Nobody watched Breaking Bad in the first three seasons. In the fourth season, people more people started watching like the fifth season, the sixth season. Then people really were going nuts for Some it. Some of the best cinematography in the game, man. Yeah. Oh, but oh. there was nobody, nobody cared. Nobody really. I mean, I think they had less I than did. a million. <laughs> um, so if you were there from the beginning, you know, you were one of the one million people, I think, that watched it. But at that time, that was a very small number of people who cared about it. I'm from Richmond, Virginia, and so is Vince Gilligan. So I was a big fan. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Wait till you have Vince on. Yeah, I know. Uh, it should. Now that I, you know, now that I've had you. Yeah, I know. But uh, so then talk, talk to me in, in, in the post. Uh, I don't even know what the, you know, the post, post 2008 world is right when this content bubble, I feel like started being incubated. I, I'll never forget this friend of mine, Rachel Brosnahan. Um, she took me out for dinner and she was like, hey, Ryan, I, I need to talk to you about something. And I was like, what's up? And she's like, they, there's this show and they really want me to show my boobs. Do you think I should do it? I was like, what show? And she's like, uh, this DVD company, Netflix, they're doing content. It's a show called House of Cards. And I was like, David Fincher, Kevin Spacey, show your tits. You know what I mean? <laughs> and she, she did, but you know what I mean? Like, it's crazy in that moment. No one knew what, how, how, how like seismic the game would change, you know, streaming cable kind of eroding and network television becoming less and less relevant. And even AMC after breaking bad, I don't really think they've kind of found their, you know, I know you did little winter sun. They they've experimented here and there, but it hasn't really taken off in the way that mad men or breaking bad did. So I'm curious what, what started interesting you when that paradigm shift happened? I mean, you know, you're, if, if, if you are, I mean, you, you always need a job, you know, the higher math of uh, networks and studios and, uh, that that is a very complicated math that those that that goes into that that seems like you can only control what you can control so um you know i i certainly the way i look at it is about uh, you know in the best case scenario you want to work with i want to work with people that i know people that yeah. i'm friends with and you want to be able to work with writers that you respect and know that they're going to have they're going to be working as hard as they can to make something as you know, integral as they can. And they, and, and I've been really super lucky because I really feel that the major, the almost all the writers that I've worked with do that. And 
it's that it just makes you, you know, makes you people, everybody like, Oh, he's a fucking genius actor. And you're like, well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a good enough. I'm, I'm, I'm the best available. You know, the, the, <laughs> no, company, you're one of the, the best. Company, the, com- the company that we work for, the company that we work for now is one of the producing companies is best is called best available. So under, no way. <laughs> I think I've seen those trailers around. <laughs> billions. That's amazing. And if you look at the end of billions, it says best available. So we all consider ourselves the best available. Well, before we jump into Billions, I, I do want to ask you, because I felt like it was such an interesting shift in your career. And, you know, I, 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 I know Michael Bay takes a lot of shit in this business, but, uh, you know, I, I think that story was really important to be told because so many people love it was such a political sparring point for so long. What was it like to go in and do that kind of movie? Was that was that experience something, you With know, very. Bay? What'd you say? With Bay? With yeah. Bay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did badge tell you i mean i've heard some stories <laughs> what did badge tell you i need to know what badge said <laughs> i I'll put, uh, you know i we'll talk off air we'll get coffee sometime ah, so I, I to, which 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 do you which do you want do you want which 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 stories do you want there's so many there's so many good ones uh, well just tell me about you know uh, listen i will say that. this I will, I can't wait to work with Bay again, and he's and we by the end we got along very well. Um, Michael Michael likes to uh, express his opinion loudly and forcefully in a way that would probably only be um, best described as shouting. Yeah, and there's very there are very few adults really really become an adult. I think shouting is. You know, for safety's sake, it seems that we need to limit the amount of shouting that we do. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it took me a while to figure that out, and then once I once I figured it out, then I shouted back at him. And I'm not a shouter, shouty guy. And then he liked it and would laugh when I would shout, and so that would make me shout more. So he shouted at me, and I shouted at him, and we got along like a house of fire. <laughs> Leave it so there. I, I can't. I can't wait. I can't wait to. Sh- I can't wait to shout at Michael Bay again. What up, Michael Bay? I'll have a Boom. lunch there. I'm sure you're watching, Bay. <laughs> so then talk about Billions, man, because, yeah. you know, some of the finest actors in the world, David Costable, yes. Paul Giamatti, Maggie Siff, yeah. and, I mean, what are the odds that, you know, it comes all home with you with Glenn Fleshler? Yeah. You know, best. was that you that brought that to him? No. No. Wow. No. I wish. So- when you when you got that pilot, did you know that this thing could be, you know, I mean, I, I mean, you I, always hope, you know, you yeah. always hope. I mean, I knew I had worked with Brian and I, uh, Koppelman and I had gone to college together. So this is, again, how Brian, you. Brian wrote Rounders, right? Correct. Brian and David yeah, both wrote yeah, Rounders. Yeah. Um, so I had worked for them a couple times prior to Billions. And, you know, we had, uh, you know. At the time when when I was in college, Brian was such a big shot because he had he had found Tracy Chapman and or he had man, managed her and produced her first album and um, so when we were there, you know, he was the BMOC on campus and um, I was just a little theater nerd. So, yeah. uh, but he remembered me and he he has a great memory and um, you know I don't know what it was twenty more years later wrote to me after seeing something maybe The Wire or Breaking Bad and. Um, it's just like, Hey, I've been following your career. Congrats. And then a couple of years later, or maybe a year later, put me in a movie of his and, um, of theirs. And 
you know, it was a great, it was very fun to be able to, again, get into a long-term collaboration with people about, with writers about how you do it and what you want to do. And, um, and again, this role is something, you know, as originally was conceived in the pilot, I was the exact opposite of what I play now. So he was supposed to be strong, silent, tight, upper East side wasp who was said nothing and just was the quietly behind the scenes making things happen. Not at all what that character is now, you know? No. Yeah. In the pilot, they cut everything I did and they were just like, we're, you're going exact opposite. Go nuts, go crazy. And I, you know, then we just started building from there and then they would, they would sort of throw out a character and then I would chase it. And then it would sort of back and forth until they finally, they really honed in on, on exactly what kind of attack dog I was. And I never would have been cast in that role unless they knew me because again, it's another situation where friends know that, in midstream, they're just like, I need that person to be completely the opposite of what they're doing. Yeah. And I know that you can do this. And I've never done it. There's nothing that they could look at and be like, oh, totally. You know, there were a little, I've played plenty of bad guys. I've been plenty of, you know, mean dudes. Yeah. Um, but never sort of out loud and, you know, bold and aggressive, like constantly aggressive. Um, but they just knew I could do it. And so, and I knew I could do it too. And so I was like, yeah, I'll do that. That seems like super fun. Um, yeah. So then the, the look of it and the feel of it and everything changed on a dime. And, uh, and it was, and it's been incredibly fun. It's been, you know, I get all the best lines. I get to do all. Yeah. Things. I get to be a horrible, spectacular person all at once. And and because Sunday is such a big game for you, I, I'd like to talk with Obviously, I know, I imagine with your theater project you had directed before, but was this, you know, when you got the show, starting to direct, was that something that was really interesting? I mean, I, yeah, I had talked to those guys at the, in the second season and I said, I, what, what do you think about, like, you know, putting me in at some point? And they, and they were like, if we get to it in the fifth season, you can direct. And I was like, the fifth season? And they were like, yeah, <laughs> we get the fifth season, you can direct. And I was like, all right, whatever. And they said, <laughs> they're like, you have to, you have to trail, you have to shadow somebody twice. And each season I did. So then I shouted somebody in the third season. I shouted this friend, Colin Buxy. Yeah. And then, um, and then in the fourth season, I shouted Adam Bernstein, who I both, who I had worked with on breaking bad. Okay. And, um, and, uh, and then this season they let me have one, which was super exciting and a great, it was incredibly generous of them to do it. And incredibly generous of the entire company to sort of say, like, we're going to give this guy who's never done it before a shot at, um, at directing. How did it feel? It was terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, it's fucking terrifying. I'm sure. (laughs) I mean, you know, as you said, like one of the things in in terms of the acting, like there are very few moments as a performer now that I feel nervous. Yeah. I don't get scared to do, you know, you get, you get anxious or about it or you get sort of like amped up. Like you've got a hard scene or you've got some, you've got something that you're really trying to, that takes an enormous amount of concentration. It's quite difficult. Um, but it's rare that you'll be like, I can't, I don't think I can do this. I don't, I'm terrified. I don't know the first thing about what I'm doing. You, you, you certainly say like, well, I know the first thing about what I'm doing. I may not be able to do all of the pieces that I want, but I know one thing and I'll start there and see if I can build, build it. Um, whereas for directing, I was just like, Jesus, fuck, I'm fucking out of my depth. Uh, there were many parts. And then, and then you start to put it together and be like, Oh, well, I do know this story very well. Yeah. I knew, I knew the players very well. I knew the writers very well. And I knew, I knew w- not just the way, but what they were trying to, the story that they're trying to tell. Yeah. And 
Um, so I was very lucky to be inside of that. And for me, that was also the reason that I wanted to do that. I knew that I didn't want to just become a gun for hire or, but that I wanted to be in a long-term collaboration with people so that I could try to tell their story the way they yeah. wanted to tell the story. And, um, and that for the actors that there was for somebody who has done plenty of, of, of television and worked with lots of different directors that I have a very, you know, I have, I know what I like and I know what I don't like. Yeah. And um, I wasn't afraid of that. I wasn't afraid of the interaction between, between a director and an actor because I knew, I knew what was, what, what were actable notes and what were shit notes. And, um, and, and it was easy, it was easy to be engaged with them and talk to them about what, what other possibilities they could try. They yeah. come, you know, everybody is, you know, nobody needs help on that show. Uh, but there were definitely things you'd be like, well, what if, if in a, like, there's just only additional stuff. So you're like, how about this? And how about that? And there was, there were some very fun and um, exciting moments to be able to work with people who are at that kind of level immediately. Yeah. You get to, you're tinkering with, you know, Maseratis. You're just like, yeah, I know. Look, 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 what, look, what, look what Paul, what, look what Paul Giamatti can do. And you'd be like, watch him go. And be like, Hey Paul, can't go this fast. And he's like, yeah, you want to see? And I'm like, yeah, I do. And he just takes off and you, and you know, you could give him what was incredible about it. And I had this great, one great learning experience. There was one moment when I gave Paul and I haven't told him this. Um, I gave him a really imprecise note. And I watched him do it imprecisely. And, and then I was like, and I went up to him and I was like, that's a bad note. Don't try it. Don't do it again. Just go back to what you had. It was so yeah. much better. And he's like, no, no, I think I can try it. I think I can try it. And I was like, please don't. I can, uh, trust me, it's the wrong thing. And it was because of how imprecise it was. And then I gave him many, many days later, I gave him a very precise note and one that he hadn't thought of. And then all of a sudden he did 10 things in addition to that one very small idea that I had that just unleashed him, unlocked something in him that I was like, fuck me. That's just so, it's so incredible to watch somebody who is that so finely tuned. Yeah. And then he, it just trips this dom. It was like a domino effect that in him that just expanded something. And I was like, I couldn't even begin to identify what, what had happened. And yeah. I was like, Holy shit. That was awesome. And not <laughs> awesome because I had given him a note, but awesome because he he is so he's so attuned to tr to trying things new but also what w the way his machine works is just enormous it's just it's incredible so that was that was very rewarding and and each each person really learning the other actors learning how they want to work and what what is helpful and what's not yeah asia and i had had less work together than maggie and i and so it was great to be able to really spend time talking to them about what they were doing and and it was a great it was a really it was a very, very rewarding personal experience for me. And um, that's so beautiful. Yeah. And then, and, and final few questions, because, you know, I know you got things to do today. Um, I'm curious, you know, just being an actor and getting a show that's a go and then getting a show that gets another season is, I mean, so few actors get that. How do you stay curious as a performer being in a show in the fifth season? I mean, I think one of the things one of the things that you really it goes back to this, it goes back to this idea about compassionate listening is that when you are able to listen with your whole person, your whole body, rather than just your ears, your brain, yeah. um, 
there are there's a there's a constant sort of uh, well of invention and joy and possibility that you that you may not that that you may not have generated right yeah. so you've generated a whole you've got this whole box and you're like hey look at all the i can do this and this and this this one and this one um but then there are there are, it could be little things like a a, a different piece of jewelry or a different a different jacket or a prop or you know, making somebody making the grip laugh because, because all of a sudden, like you're really attuned to the effect that it's having and not just the effect, like the, not just, it's, it's really about listening and really feeling like, Oh, that there is, that there's always, there's always progress to be made in that level. Like rather than being like, I got a lot, I just lock this down and and just keep doing my same shit. And, um, that you can really just be like, well, this is new. I've never been here. And look at this and look at what you're doing today. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's much harder now because it's, uh, it would be really, really interesting to go back because we're all so guarded uh, yeah. for our own, for our own and for everybody else's safety that there is a, like, how do you begin to have freedom when, um, breathing is dangerous and that's a super intense thing i think that performers i think all of us are going to have to really i mean you know because now we're it's still dangerous yeah so you're like when when it be, when does it become not dangerous or when is it when have you mitigated the the risk mm-hmm. so that everybody else is not in danger and you are not in danger to each other in the yeah. scene um it's a really it's going to be a very intense moment of creation i think to really get to that point where you're like wow we're really doing this again and do you guys know if you have another season yet or is showtime i mean i would assume you know yeah I, I, it's dangerous to assume anything anymore but um you know certainly when we left there is a there is a commitment there's an absolute commitment for them to finish what we're in the middle of yeah uh we're finished we're in the middle of the eighth episode of this season um and i think I, I, I would, I, I will assume something that we will go back, go and do a sixth season. Yeah. Um, and so well, if you need a co-star guest star, you know, who fantastic. To call. Yeah. <laughs> just let me audition. That's all you're I need. <laughs> I want the episode you're directing now. <laughs> I want to work with a master, man. Yeah. Well, you should find, you should find a different director then. No, I want to work with you. Dude, I'm I'm telling you, it's so crazy because it was my birthday. Glenn came and he was talking about how great you were doing. And then it was in the while we we were shooting it. Yeah. Yeah. He was off that day. But then you're you're originally Craig texted me saying like we were going to do it that week. But then you got too busy with directing. So it's really, you know, serendipitous that I get to talk to you right as your episode is about to air. And then. I would, you know, I would love to please stay in touch. I'd love to grab a cup of coffee sometime and whenever that reality is available again. That but sounds great. Final question for all the actors out there, you know, the young Davids that, that, that just graduated Tufts or even, you know, the ones that are lucky enough to have just graduated grad school, you know, in this crazy 2020 pandemic world that, you know, have $300,000 student loans and are really trying to figure out this acting thing. What advice would you have? Uh, I have two, two pieces of advice. One, don't play the comparison game. You know what the comparison game is? I, Rachel Brosnan started working the second I graduated. There so. you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. Right? So yeah. what's, the, what's the winning version of that game? How do you win that game? 
<laughs> no one. You lose no. more slowly. Well, <laughs> well, you right. You you beat, you beat the shit out of yourself. Yeah. The, the win in that game is that you're you get to feel superior to somebody who you feel is not entitled to what they've achieved, totally. and that you get to feel shittier about yourself because you haven't achieved what you hoped they would achieve. Yeah, and in the time that they achieved it. Yeah. So that is a shit game that you'll never. That is only destruction. And you know we're all masochists. That's why. That's part of the. <laughs> that's part of the profile. But that the doesn't. Artist. Mean, that doesn't mean you have to practice masochism in such a shitty sophomoric way. It's a yeah. sophomoric, lousy shit game to play. You will lose and it will only, it will, it's, it's a corrosive game that can really get you into thinking. That's just, I mean, talk about stinking thinking brother, because that yeah. is shitty thinking. That's so what we just, talk about in the, in the rooms, yeah. man. So stinking just, thinking. So just don't do it. When you yeah. see your friends do it, just be like, dude, there's no, there's no, this isn't, this isn't helpful. It doesn't help yeah. you. It doesn't help me. It's not good to hear. It's not good to play. Don't play yeah. it. It's a bad yeah. game. I love that. The other thing is, the other thing is like, you really have to, you really have to find, um, you, you have to pursue joy. You have to pursue what is personal joy for you. What is your personal joy? Cause joy happens to you. You don't choose joy. Yeah. Joy happens to you. It comes out. Because it is joy, it is so powerful that it yeah. just blossoms in totally. you, and it comes out of your body. Yeah. You don't get it this way; you go, it comes out. And you have to be able to find joy, personal joy, your joy, in whatever it is that you do, in anything. Yeah. And that will allow you. Like I'll tell you, one of the things that really um, brings has brought brought me has brought me joy. I love living in New York City. I'm not from New York, but I love living in New York City. I love the New York Times. I love the physical New York Times. Yeah. I love all the people who work for the New York Times and work so hard to do their jobs. I love the people who manufacture that physical piece of paper that I comes know. to my door every day. It's incredible. And I would I bring it almost everywhere with me. And certainly when I go to an audition, I have the New York Times with me because I know I'm going to learn something about the world that I don't know. Yeah. And I'm going to think about not myself. Yeah. So I have it or the, in the audition. audition. Yeah. Right. I have it in the audition room. And then I have it on the subway when I leave the audition, because you are able then to, to go out to, to not go in and be like, fuck, why didn't yeah. I get it? I wish I should have gotten it. I, if I had done this. I would have gotten it. And you'll yeah. do that. But then the, the paper, I know I would be like, Oh, look, there's the paper. And the paper would bring me joy. Having it in my hand would bring me joy. And does. And, and I think even something as small as that, that you can identify and you can be like, oh, I do get great joy from this particular thing that you will, you will, it, it is the thing that will fight your despair. Yeah. It will, it will fight despair in a way that despair will never win. It yeah. will never win because it's, it is, e despair is easily conquerable and joy is just going to smother that shit in a way that it will never it will never win. I'll, I'll pit it against despair any day. And you can do it in small ways and you can do it in big ways, but finding it and really making it your own because mine is not yours and yours is not mine, but your joy will be the thing that will drive you away. Always, always from your own despair. That might be the most beautiful piece of advice I have ever heard in my entire life. Thank you for sharing that, man. I'm, I'm going to steal it. But uh, before we wrap up, any, any final projects that you can announce or anything in the works? Uh, I got two things that will come out at some point. Um, 
this this mini series I did, and that's going to be both of them are uh, one's going to be on AMC, and then uh, and then one is going to be on Star, not Stars, Sky One, Sky One, Sky Sky that's Television, Br- which is a British British, British yeah, show. yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. So those things. Amazing. David Costable, thank you so much for taking the time. Absolutely, man. I, I got so much love for you. Stay in touch, brother. Stay well. Stay positive. And uh, it means so much to me that you came on. My pleasure. Good luck, friend. All right. Much love. Take care. If you like the show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.